0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they
1: want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. and this is Nashville. Any frequent flyer will tell you traveling will enrich your life. Immerse yourself in another culture, experience life in a new place, and you'll understand just how connected we all are. Officials in Nashville get it, because for decades our city has taken part in the Sister Cities program, building intentional relationships with places like Mendoza, Argentina, Magdeburg, Germany, and Belfast, Northern Ireland. So how does the Sister Cities program work? Who can get involved? And what will our newest Sister City be? That's coming up later this hour. But first, today is the second and final day of the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting. Over the course of two days, more than 12,000 representatives, also known as messengers, vote on important policies that could reshape the future of SBC congregations, including those here in Nashville. Liam Adams is religion reporter for The Tennessean. He joins us now from New Orleans, where he's covering the meeting. Liam, thanks for being here, and welcome back to This Is Nashville.
0: Hey, Khalil. Uh, Thanks for having me on. miss being in the studio with you, but thanks for uh, having me on uh, remotely.
1: We'll take this connection for sure, my friend. Okay, so, you know, there were some really big questions and decisions made yesterday on the first day of the meeting. That includes a vote for the president of the SBC. Tell us, what happened?
0: Yeah, the incumbent SBC president, Bart Barber, a Texas pastor, he won re-election for another term, receiving 68% of the vote. Um, and he defeated uh, Mike Stone, who is a Georgia pastor. These two candidates represent differing factions within the SBC. Um, President Barber represents sort of a mainstream conservative faction in the SBC. Uh, while Mike Stone is a leader with a sort of opposition conservative faction that wants to pull the denomination further to the right, and so uh, uh, President Barber's reelection is sort of uh, is yet another defeat for this uh, opposition conservative faction, um, and so I think it was it was pretty significant and it definitely. Uh, affected uh, subsequent votes
1: that happened uh, after that, and this morning. You know, there you mentioned those votes, and there were a number of other resolutions voted on yesterday. What can you tell us about those?
0: Yeah, so the a lot of actually the results we learned this morning. Um, so there are sort of, I'll, I'll break it down that there are two main issues, kind of going going into this. Uh, SBC annual meeting. One was about uh, sexual abuse reform, and the other was about the status of women pastors. Um, so the, I'll start with the abuse reform. The with throughout this past year, there's been what's called the SBC abuse reform implementation F- task force. It's been doing work to sort of carry out changes um, throughout this past year, but that work they weren't able to complete. And so they basically asked for, um, renewal to continue its work for another year. And, um, about 30 minutes ago, the messengers decided that the abuse reform task force, uh, would be renewed to continue its work for another year.
1: All right. So the other, a, yeah, yeah, give us some analysis. What does that mean? as far as the Southern Baptist Convention really attempting to reconcile with these allegations of sexual abuse that have taken place in member churches?
0: Yeah, what it means is that there is um, sustained appetite within the SBC for ongoing abuse reform. Uh, last year at the 2022 SBC annual meeting in Anaheim, California, uh, the messengers overwhelmingly approved a series of sort of reforms. This was, uh, the, the approval of those reforms came on the heels of this sort of historic report on how SBC leaders have handled abuse in the past. And so there was a lot of attention on the SBC to respond to this pretty damning report. And that's exactly what they did the level of attention on this issue and sort of engagement um, is sort of it's intensified in uh or it's sort of there's been more engagement on it but there's also been some wavering on it in the past year so the vote this morning was a um, sign of whether southern baptists want to continue this work and see it to its completion and really this work around abuse reform, survivors and advocates and experts say is just the bare minimum. Mm.
1: So what's the other measure that they were voting on this morning?
0: Yeah, so there was um, a series of decisions that they had to make around this uh, debate on the status of women pastors. Really quick, the SBC uh, doctrinal statement says that the office of pastor is limited to men, is qualified by scripture. Um, but there's been, it's been a sort of, it's been muddier, I should say, on whether that doctrinal statement can be used to uh, essentially kick churches out. And that's what happened in February. SBC leaders decided to disfellowship five churches that have women pastors. And um, fast forward to now, two of those five churches decided to appeal their ouster. So one is very well-known, Saddleback Church in Southern California, founded by Pastor Rick Warren. And the other church was Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And so the pastors of those churches appealed their ouster, basically asked the messengers to allow their churches back into the SBC, but the messengers decided to uh uphold the ouster of those churches. So those churches are sort of permanently out of the SBC, and it's because they have
1: women pastors. Um now, did you talk to anyone who voted no?
0: No, this it's been kind of a, a whirlwind this morning. All the big votes have been kind of back to back, and I'll and I'll add to that, which is literally three minutes ago there was another um very significant vote uh as it relates to the status of women pastors there was a separate motion to uh that essentially uh enshrines a ban on women pastors it amends the sbc constitution and um it was uncertain how that would play out and uh the, the messengers also approved that measure so um the what this shows both the vote on this uh constitutional amendment and on the appeals of saddleback and fern creek shows that the sbc um believes very strongly that the office
1: of pastor should be limited to men give me a sense of the energy in the room when that decision was being made when that vote took place
0: well, I can speak to the appeals by those churches um, because I was actually, I stepped out to uh, <laughs> take on this, take this interview um, yeah. <laughs> when they made the, when they made the vote, but I was keeping up on Twitter. Um, I think it was definitely, it's definitely surprising. I think a lot more people expected the um, the constitutional amendment to, to have a harder time getting approved. So I think that was just sort of um, it was a decisive sort of um, statement by the SBC on where it stands with women pastors. i'll I'll speak to the 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 appeals by Saddleback and Fern Creek. So that was yesterday afternoon. and um, Rick Warren, a celebrity pastor, bestselling author, he appealed Saddleback's ouster. And there was sort of this uh, kind of raucous kind uh, of—there was booing of him at some points. He's been campaigning for this appeal for weeks now, and it um, hasn't—there's been a lot of Southern Baptists, I think, that haven't appreciated his um, approach in his campaign. And uh, so you saw that when people were were booing him as he was speaking— And then uh, you saw that in the results, um, which was uh, more than 85% of the vote um, was to uphold the ouster of Saddleback. And it was an even higher percentage for Fern Creek. Um, And and Fern Creek's pastor, uh, who's a woman, Linda Barnes Popham, she made the appeal from the floor of the convention.
1: Now tell us, the issue of gender affirming care has also come up. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so that's that's actually one of the only remaining decisions that um, sort of the business kind of tapers down at this point. Um, there's a few kind of things in the afternoon, and one of them is whether the SBC will, whether the messengers will approve a resolution opposing uh, gender-affirming care for trans people. And um, I expect that resolution... To receive widespread support. The SPC um, is very conservative um, on issues of sexuality and gender. Um, they've passed a uh, previous resolution on transgender identity, um, and it's pretty unequivocal where Southern Baptists stand on uh, gender affirming care for, for trans folks. And so, um, the, just to explain, resolutions are kind of the statement of what Southern Baptists want to say to the world about what it believes. So it's a sort of non-binding sort of declaration. Um, so it, it won't have sort of uh, sort of material effect, um, but it, it will certainly be a strong statement if they approve this resolution. And again, I expect they
1: they will. Liam Adams is the religion reporter for The Tennessean. You can find the link to his story in today's episode post at thisisnashville.org. Liam, again, thanks for being here, and thank you for your reporting, my friend. Thanks for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about the new sister city for Nashville and take you out with the delegation to visit Erbil. Join the conversation by tweeting us at thisisnashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. That is the Kurdish National Anthem, as performed by students at the Ishik private school in Erbil, the capital of the Kurdistan region of Iraq. That was a part of the warm welcome for a delegation from Nashville last month. The group included Nashville Mayor John Cooper and former Mayor Bill Purcell. They were there because Erbil is about to become Nashville's newest sister city here to talk more about what that means exactly is Sarah Lingo executive director of Sister Cities Nashville Nazad Harami of the Sahaladdin Center and former mayor Bill Purcell thank you all to, for being here and welcome to this is Nashville
2: thank you for having us today
3: thank you for having us absolutely
2: great
1: Won- to be here wonderful pleasure so let's let's start talking about the recent trip to Erbil Sarah what was that experience like for you
2: Um, Well, it was amazing, Uh, somewhere I never thought I would get to go. Um, We started talking about this relationship during the pandemic about probably two years ago, a little over two years ago, and we're approached by some Kurdish folks in Nashville about it. And I know... um, it, it, the history of this goes back a lot longer than just a few years. And so last year, we had a delegation from Erbil, including their governor. Um, many of their city officials come to Nashville and make a really wonderful appeal about why we should consider a partnership with them. So over the last year, um, since they've been here, um, we've talked to the community. We've talked to elected officials in town. Um and really have a overwhelming response of support for adding another sister city to our docket. Um, and it looks like it's going to be Erbil. So mm-hmm. we're excited about that. So um, with all of that planning and with everything that we do to create a relationship, uh, we needed to do a reciprocal trip there. And we were able to do that last May. And it was really exciting. Um, and I,
1: I heard the children singing. Yeah. Paint the picture for me. What was it like at that So.
2: Night? One of my favorite things to do when I go abroad is to visit a school. Uh, I used to teach in Thailand uh, in the Peace Corps, so it's something that I care very deeply about and I think gives you a picture of what the society is really like. Uh, Kids are very honest, right? Mm -hmm. So we go in, and, you know, of course it's a school. It's loud. Um, The kids are changing classes. Some of them are louder than others. Um, The teachers want us to see the best parts of it, um, and they've prepared this musical performance for us, um, and it was really just a warm welcome, and I think one of the many warm welcomes we had in Erbil.
1: Tell me, where are we in the process of making this relationship official?
2: We're pretty far along. Um, So our board voted last week. Uh, The process... obviously starts with, um, dating, uh, like you would, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to get married right out of the gate, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you so take your time. yeah, rush yeah get story. to know each other. Um, so we've been doing that for a few years. Um, and last week, uh, part of the trip was to determine whether or not we thought this would be a viable partnership. And last week our board voted to proceed. And, uh, I think, um, so right now, uh, what happens next is there's a resolution that has to pass through council. We've drafted that or helped to draft that resolution. And um, I think that it will be heard on July 6th, but we'll know in the next few days when it'll go on their calendar.
1: Okay. Now, Mayor Purcell, you've been involved in the Sister Cities program for quite some time now. Tell us, what makes Erbil an ideal Sister City for Nashville?
4: Well, I think uh, there are many things, obviously, and and most importantly, so many uh, Kurds, people of Kurdistan, have chosen to make Nashville their home, beginning literally uh, uh, in the late 1970s and right through to today, uh, we've had uh, a great interest by people who could not uh, be in, particularly Iraq during the time of Saddam Hussein, to come to Nashville. 25,000 people now live in our region and have brought with them uh, their culture, their understanding, and frankly, their joy in Nashville. But also, uh, the, the regions themselves share other similarities. I think that would not have been self-evident uh, to us all. These are r- roughly the same size. The metropolitan area of, of uh, Erbil is about 1.7 million. Nashville is about 2 million. The the uh, area of of Kurdistan about 7 million people, roughly the same population as Tennessee. They have a, a great history of being welcoming as a people, of being diverse in their outlook, and their welcoming nature. I think is one of the reasons they have found Nashville so 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 uh, so special a place for them, but also. Uh, one of the things that we share in our very roots.
1: Now, I understand that you had plans to go to Erbil when you were serving as mayor, but you weren't able to make it. So how does it feel to finally visit? It is is a dream
4: come true, actually. I, I had first, as a city, uh, led the effort to host Iraqi voting back in 2003. That was the first time I think we saw as a city how many people were here and how how much they, they loved being here in Nashville. Uh, literally thousands of people came th- to our fairgrounds, they put their finger in the ink, they voted, and they cried because they'd never been able to vote before until they had the safety and security of Nashville. Uh, in 2004, we did it again. In 2007, they sent their representatives to us. They had re- reopened uh, civil air transport. Uh, it was Uh, tourists could go. I wanted to go. I said I would go. And then it was the end of my second term and I ran out of time. Uh, So this was a promise I had made and it was a promise I got to keep somewhat later than I had had anticipated. But uh, thankfully, uh, it it was a wonderful trip, as Sarah indicated.
1: Mm. Now, Nazad, you're from Kurdistan. What does it mean to you that the newest sister city is in Kurdistan?
3: It's a great thing that that uh, first I would like to thanks for all the delegations from Nashville they come to they went to Kurdistan. They give them the hard times, transport from to overseas and they see the Kurdistan by themselves. for a long while we talked to them, our friends in Nashville about the Kurdistan, but finally it was a great moment that they see by themselves how the Kurdistan they are welcome. Welcome, people they have, and also have the Kurdistan in the safe and secured for the uh, non-Kurdish people or especially foreigner peoples. Yeah, for me it was a great, great moments, you know, to see the delegation from the United States and building this relation, uh, improving the relations between the 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 Kurdish and uh, uh, Kurdish and United States. Mm-hmm. The root of relations go back to 1960 during the GF, JFK's leadership, you know, and uh, I remember my dad when he talked about that we received the aids 1963 when I born mm-hmm. in Kurdistan. So, and also the, still until 1974 when we left Kurdistan to Iran after the collapse of the Kurdish revolution, still we have the the paper bag of that, that is that we received the weeds and the rice they received from the United States. Mm. That was including some paper bags that they show us how we, how we are, we have a friend. So we don't worry about these brutal countries uh, that are ruling the Kurds, they're ruling the Iraq and they fighting us. So uh, building a relation with the nations is improving that relation. Mm. And also to to transfer the smile face of Kurd, of a U.S. smile face to Kurdistan to the Middle East, to know how the American people they are nice and how they are they are friendly, how their friendship. Tell me about one of the highlights
1: for you to go back on this most recent trip.
3: For most highlights, you know, uh, is give me the give the great message to, to them to Kurdistan and also to myself, you know how a great country we have, United States. I come as a immigrant before 23 years, mm-hmm. and I'll go back with the delegation to the delegation to the Kurdistan to building the relation between the two nations. It was for me well, the great things, and thanks for the Najvilian peoples, thanks for Najvilian metro government, and Najvilian sister cities for their great programs, you know, and this approved that, uh, practically approved by the, how the welcome city they are, mm. how the diverse city we have.
1: Now, Sarah you were breaking down some of the process of how a city becomes a sister city to Nashville. You mentioned that it's going to go up in front of the city council. Mm-hmm. Do you have an, an idea of where the city council is going to land when they do vote on this?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, so. Last year, when the governor of Erbil came here, um, anybody that follows council, I think, will will find this um, interesting he addressed the council and all of them sat quietly. You could hear a pin drop in that room. Mm-hmm. And they paid attention and they were so engaged with what he was saying. And so that indicated to me that there was a great interest in this. And I have not had anyone say anything negative about this. I always try to weigh, we, we always try to weigh the pros and the cons of a relationship, right? So it, it I guess I would say that they will all... Be a part of this vote, and my hope is that they all sign on to the resolution, obviously. Um, so, fingers crossed. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. So, last May, a group yeah. from Airbnb came to Nashville as a part of that trip. The governor you just mentioned, Omed Koshna, addressed city council. Let's listen. <laughs> There are two main
4: reasons that we love the country of the United States and the city of Nashville. One of them to be your great soldiers, your brave soldiers saved us, saved our nation from a brutal dictator.
1: وکاری دوم اویا بشه چیزور لروان کوردستان کردستان لایلایت یک گروت وکاین آمریکا لناشفلن ک اوان بتواوتی توافوتی هست با خوان مالیتی دکنو لیره هست با قربت دلالتی آورش دلی جبرایی دلیق و وکو خالچی آشاره و حکومتی آشاره
4: the second reason, the biggest delegation from Kurdish, the biggest diaspora, is located in the city of Nashville. These people here, they do not feel they are strangers. They have been welcomed by you. They have been welcomed by your big hearts.
1: That was the governor of Erbil addressing Nashville's Metro Council last year. And you can really hear what a riveting speech it was, like yeah. you mentioned, Sarah. Indeed. Nazad, what are your thoughts hearing that?
3: I thought this a uh, g- great uh Great things that is exactly what he pointed. This is, that's that's we feel that you know that we uh, more than twenty five thousand people you know Kurdish people living in Nashville, and they built the community nine, since nineteen seventy six and up you know, and they, they have great contribution to the Nashville, you know, financially, culture wise, uh, language wise, and also the food menu of food you know and building many many businesses that have a great impact and also uh, input to the Nashville to improve it to develop the Nashville you know and when uh, i started you know when i come to here they i welcome they welcome me everywhere when i went to the mayor office attend the my city academy and uh, there was a great program under the leadership of Mayor Kaldin, you know, started and still continues, you know. They opened the door of the mayor for me. And mm-hmm. I became the member of the New American Advisory Council under the leadership of the, the New American office in the mayor office. And we built a good relation. We participate in the political uh, processes, federal-wise and city-wise, too.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliola Kalona. We're talking this hour about this newest sister city to Nashville, Erbil. My guests are Sarah Lingo, Nasrad Harami, and former Mayor Bill Purcell. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This is Nashville. Uh, you know, I'm curious, like, what, were, what are some of the challenges in creating a relationship with Erbil? Mayor Purcell?
4: Uh, it, It begins, obviously, with an understanding of each other and the importance of the relationship. That's dependent on the commitment of the people of each place. When President Eisenhower started this movement in 1956, his sense was that it was always going to be about the people in those places. He called them citizen diplomats. And his intention, frankly, was that by better understanding of each other and commitment to each other over the long term, there would be nothing less than a greater chance for world peace. That is what President Eisenhower said, and that's what he set out to do. So the challenge is to connect, which we have accomplished. And that the, the, the challenge then becomes sustaining those connections over time, finding the places where we can uh, share with each other and, and give to each other in healthcare in higher education exchanges, in K through 12 exchanges, in arts exchanges. All of these we saw as great possibilities while we were in Erbil, and I, I think uh, uh, the people of Erbil feel the same way about us.
1: Yeah, you know, what you're saying makes me curious about the core of the relationship. Is it between like government officials or more between the people of the cities?
4: It is between the people of the cities. Way back in 1956 when this began, President Eisenhower said, we have two deeply held convictions that unite us in purpose. First is our belief in effective and responsive local government as a principal bulwark of freedom. That's the government part. But second is our faith in the great promise of people to people and sister city affiliations in helping build the solid structure of world peace. That was the dream of President Dwight Eisenhower just after World War II at the height of the Cold War and that's still at the core of sister
1: cities. Sarah, how much of the push for sister cities comes from the community?
2: Well, we would hope that all of the push comes from the community uh, or that it would be 50/50 from, you know, our community and our potential sister community. Um I think that, you know, like Bill said, this is it's incredibly important that we have community members who help lift this up and hold it up. It's something that we intend to last forever. So we need sustainable support for this, and it's it's not it's not an, an an agreement that we enter into lightly.
1: Now, Nazad, what do you want the people of Nashville to gain from having Erbil as our newest sister city?
3: Yeah, I think they 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 will have new friends in the overseas, in the especially in the Middle East, especially in the places maybe they think different about the the American peoples, you know, and they will see, you know. Uh, uh, they have a great, great friend and uh, they improve this friendship. I hope it will be the, the, the point that develops to other, other cities in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, and uh, also I will uh, ask the Metro Council, you know, uh, and Najvilian community to support this proposal, to support res- res- this resolution. And the Metro Council, I ask them, you know, to, to approve the, this resolution, to go to the practical uh, steps
1: you know sarah as nazad was talking about having new friends you flashed this really great smile and that kind of just shows how much this really matters to people yeah. here huh
2: well uh, going back to this school i think this is very this experience was really telling about what what we want to happen and so we it was me and three of the other delegation members all of us women and the kids uh, wanted us to sign autographs i'm not really sure why but mm. they that's what we were doing and we thought it was funny and then One little boy comes over and he was like, I don't know what you guys are doing. Americans are just regular people. And it was so funny. So we we all had a good laugh about it. But I think that that's, you know, we are. We're all just regular people and we all just want friendship and to be you know, acknowledged for the things that we're doing. And yeah, so I, I, it's it's just really exciting to think about having friends on that side of the world. Mm.
1: Now, Mayor Purcell, you've been a part of the Sister City activities in Magdeburg, Germany, Belfast, Ireland, and Cannes, France, just to name a few. What do you want Nashvilleians to know about the opportunities that having Sister Cities provides?
4: I think people need to really be open to all that can come, not just from international travel, but from international exchanges, from people who come, stay at your home, people who come and share a meal, people who come and in the end, help us understand how great and diverse and big our world is, but in the end, how much we are alike, wherever we are, wherever we came came from, or are going to be. Uh, It brings us together as a people. And that's what Nashville is about, always has been, and I hope always will.
1: That is former Mayor Bill Purcell. He was joined by Nazad Harami of the Sahala Dean Center. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Thank
3: you for having us.
1: Sarah Lingo will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll learn about some of our other sister cities and why we have them. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaliole O'Leckolona, and this is Nashville. As we just heard, Erbil in the Kurdistan region of Iraq will become Nashville's 10th sister city, joining places like Belfast, Northern Ireland, Cannes, France, Chengdu, China, Edmonton, Canada, Kamakura, Japan, Magdeburg, Germany, Mendoza, Argentina, Tomworth. Australia, and Taiwan, China. Those are a lot of places across the globe that have formed a connection to our city. Now, let's take some time to learn more about the history of this program that has been going on for decades. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Valentina Bulin is the administrator at Colajeo EC in Mendoza, Argentina. And William Watson is a college student from Bellevue who traveled to Mendoza last summer. Valentina, William, thanks for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. Really appreciate it. It's hard to hear you, Valentina. I think we're going to fix on that right now. Can you hear me, Valentina? Yes, Awesome. I I can hear you too. Hey, it's 2023. We all know the Zoom problems. Okay, so you've been with the Sister Cities program for some time now. Tell us, how did you get involved?
5: Well, I'm... I work in at a school in Mendoza, and uh, my school is in charge of uh, hosting the students who travel with sister cities. And uh, I got in charge. I, I mean, I got involved in the program because when the delegation of adults came to Mendoza, uh, one of the the persons traveling got in touch with the person from my school, and that's how we got connected. And uh, we started receiving students at the beginning because for different reasons we couldn't travel. But then in 2017, we traveled for the first time and um, we have been there five times already.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, take me back to when the first students from Nashville came to visit you in Mendoza. Tell us about that.
5: Well, that was uh, for, for my students. It was a, a very exciting experience. They all wanted to host them and they all wanted to have them at home. And uh, um, it was uh, something really new for them. And uh, that's why they all were so interested in, in talking to them and uh, learning about them and their culture. Uh, it was quite exciting.
1: Now, William, you've traveled to Mendoza last year. What was that experience like for you? So for me, um,
6: I was actually originally going to go to France because France, French is my, like, I don't know how I would say it, but primary second language. But I also speak a little bit of Spanish, so I decided that it might be a good idea to do some immersion with that. So I signed up for the Mendoza program, and I got there, and I very quickly realized that my Spanish was not hmm. at the level I thought it was. Hmm. Um But that was a good thing because, you know, I was being exposed to this new environment and I was in a homestay where we spoke Spanish and like it really, really improved my speaking abilities, my listening comprehension, really everything um, to the point where now I'm able to work with like um, I do a job with refugees and a lot of them speak Spanish. So that's really helpful for my work. But also... um, Aside from the language piece, there's just the piece of seeing that the world is so much more than, you know, the Bellevue suburbs and mm-hmm. so much more than
1: Nashville. What? How did you learn about the Sister Cities program?
6: So, yeah, I originally learned about it in high school because I believe that um, they had come and done like an expose at the high school just explaining what they're about and some of their different programs Um, and then in I believe 2019 they there was some kind of um, 14th of July French independence or French um, Bastille Day celebration in downtown Nashville and they had a booth there and so I was able to talk to some of the directors and learn what it was all about.
1: You know Valentina you've been to Nashville five times now as you mentioned as a part of the program, what was it like the first time you arrived here?
5: Um, it was uh, it, it it was amazing for me and for my students because it's we are used to. I mean, my students when they travel to the U.S. generally they go to Miami or Orlando and that's all. Mm-hmm. And uh, visiting Nashville like a very different place and uh, with country music that is something that is totally different from what we hear what we listen to here and um, they they were surprised by everything they saw and me too because I I've also been to just to Miami and uh, visiting Nashville was uh, quite an experience for all of us
1: it sounds like you enjoyed your visit did you try hot chicken while you were here
5: I did, but I'm sorry. I, I didn't like it.
1: <laughs> hey, it, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. I will say that. Now, do, do me this favor. Describe Mendoza for us. Like, how would you compare Mendoza to Nashville?
5: Well, Mendoza is, uh, we, we are very near the, the Andes Mountains. So, um, we are in the south of, very, very south of South America. And uh, to the west, we are in the limit with Chile. And uh, we are separated by the mountains. So an hour away from Mendoza, you have uh, very high mountains. Um, and then our city is uh, a small city. But, um, well, we are uh, we produce wine here. That's our main activity. So there are a lot of wineries. And that's like when tourists come to Mendoza, that's what they like
1: the most to visit wineries and. Mm, That sounds really awesome. Kind of hard for high school students, but it sounds absolutely wonderful. Now, William, I'm curious. You know, tell me what sort of responsibility did you feel representing Nashville as a part of Sister Cities?
6: So I definitely felt a responsibility to kind of portray Nashville in a good light and portray like kind of what we're all about. Um, But I definitely felt some additional responsibility because I was the oldest on the trip and I was the only one by the time like the trip was happening that had finished high school because it was in my senior year of high school that I went. Um, But in terms of portraying Nashville, I think really the big challenge was – recognizing that we do have a lot of cultural barriers and recognizing that there are a lot of things that are different about us, but also trying to integrate the things that are similar and trying to show them that, yes, we may be different in these ways, but these are some of the things that unite us too.
1: you, you know, we mentioned that you were the oldest of this group of high school students. As a recent graduate yourself, you felt a responsibility for them. I'm curious about the conversations that you all had and some of the differences you all noticed. What did you guys talk about?
6: Um, Well, it's a much more communal culture, I would say, um, in Mendoza, whereas in Nashville and I would say in the United States in general, we're a lot more individualistic. Um, I don't want to say that it's more necessarily welcoming in Argentina, but it's welcoming in a different way. Like it's more normal to i would say invite someone that you just met for the first time like your house whereas in the united states that's something that would be kind of a little more taboo um and so dealing with those new things to me um also like physical contact is a lot Mm.
4: more
6: common there um like you give base. also when you meet somebody which is a kiss on so that was a big culture shot for me and dealing with that and coming from a culture and like a household where
1: that's not as common it's a, it's big for me mm-hmm. if you're just tuning in this is Nashville and I'm your host Kalia Lake Alona we're talking this hour about our sister cities program with Valentina Boulin and William Watson Sarah Lingo with sister cities Nashville is still with us now Sarah for some people traveling abroad is diff- difficult and right. really, in right. some right. cases too expensive and students who may be interested in the program their families may not be able to afford all of the costs how does sister Sister Cities, how does the program really help in that regard?
2: So there are really two ways to do this. Um, one of the great things about Sister Cities is that you don't have to leave Nashville to travel. You you can get an immersive uh, international experience here in Nashville by hosting, uh, by just being part of our events when people come into town. You don't even have to host in your home. Um, we... Are always looking for volunteers to help us drive kids and adults around the city when they come. Um, it's a very community-oriented organization that relies heavily on volunteers. Um, financially, though, we do offer scholarships, and we are a nonprofit, so we uh, receive the our majority of funding from Metro through a grant because we do serve the city in that way. But um, we take donations, too. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in helping a kid travel abroad, we certainly have opportunities for you to do that. Uh, and we, you know, ask kids to apply for financial aid, and we go through those normal processes of one that gives out a scholarship. So,
1: What's the age limit for people? Can, you know, I, as a person who graduated high school a long time ago, take yeah. a part of this program?
2: Yeah, so, well, anybody can participate. So the the best thing about it is, you know, You can, your grandmother can participate and your five-year-old can participate. Um, We don't send five-year-olds abroad, but um, yeah, it may be someday, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody can participate as, you know, the the hosting, the hospitality, the cultural events side uh, that happen here in Nashville. Our student exchanges are for high school. We do have university exchanges. Those are coming back slowly after COVID. Um, You know, we had a bump in Mm -hmm. (laughs) our international travel, as you can imagine. Um, One of my hopes for... Our adult exchanges is to offer scholarships to young professionals or people who may not be able to otherwise travel. Some of the programs we have, uh, we do have an attorney exchange with France, and we do offer scholarships for that.
1: Now, I'm interested about some of the hosting that happened, you know, Valentina, you work with students who've come to the National and the Cultural Exchange Program. What have you really understood and learned about their experiences and benefits from being here?
5: Well, um, they they enjoy it. They enjoy it a lot because we have uh, very different cultures and uh, even I don't know uh, uh, times when we have our meals and uh, uh we, we here at in Argentina we we, ate, we eat we uh, late dinners and uh, um, so the the times are different and the the. The families, of course, the, how the families function is very different. As William said, we are very, we kiss a lot, we hug a lot, uh, and uh, they have to learn about all those uh, different uh, culture, uh, and and that's that's interesting.
1: It's a lot of wonderful expressions of love. Sounds like my kind of place. Now, I understand that you're currently hosting someone from Nashville right now, right?
0: Yeah. He's here at
1: home. How's it going?
5: Well, we are, actually, they leave today, so it's been wonderful. Uh, Simon, one of the teachers who travel with the group of students, is staying at home. And uh, it's been amazing. I, I love to host. I always host teachers when they come here to Mendoza. And uh, it's a very nice experience for me and for my family, too.
1: Is it? Do you all get a little bit sad when it's time to say goodbye?
5: Of course. Yes. 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 It's very sad. Mm. Yes. Because they have, they be part of the family.
1: You know, William, tell me about your host family. What was that like?
6: So, yeah, my host family was a lot like me, um, in that we were kind of all pretty introverted. Um, and that was a super great fit for me because I'm not someone who is very extroverted. Um, But I mean, they were super nice. Um, They operated, I believe, a tortilla factory. Um, And yeah, we would have dinner every night and like we would go into the town and we would go into the city square and just see the things around the village or around the city. Um, And we went on weekend trips when we could. Uh, I mean, there was only really one opportunity because of the program only lasting for two weeks, but it was really fun. They were super accommodating um, to really all of my needs and yeah, living with a host family is really a great thing because beyond, you know, living in another country, you get to see how people in that country live in like an authentic way and not in a way where you're kind of a, a stranger in somebody's house, you really feel like you're part of the family, even if it is it's like a two week
1: experience. Mm. Now, have your travels have they influenced your plans for a career?
6: Oh, definitely. I um, I love everything that's different from me, and the more different it is, the better. Um, and so, I have been wanting to get involved with something international for a long time, but traveling to Argentina and then traveling. Um, this coming fall to study abroad in France, I'm sure will really push me to take the next step and to look into what I can do that's international. Okay,
1: okay. so what would you say to anyone, a student out there who may be listening, who's on the fence about traveling to a sister city or somewhere new, what would you say to them?
6: Oh, do it, even if, even if you don't think you're ready, like, you don't have to be ready, it's okay, because the host family will accommodate to what you need, And like your language skills will improve. Um, And I mean, if that's the piece you're looking into for like a sister city experience, then the best thing that you can do is just kind of jump into it and really get into an environment where you're speaking the language, but also just learning about new cultures. I think it's a similar aspect where it's not something that you can really prepare for. You just have to, you just
1: got to do it. Got to take the chance when it's there. Now, Valentina, tell me: Have you been able to form long-time, long-lasting friendships from Sister Cities program?
5: Yes, definitely. Yes, Um, in my case, um, I'm always uh, hosted by the same family, and uh, so I they they really uh, they are my family now. Every time I travel there, it's, uh, it's I feel like I'm at home. And for my students, um, they have a, they, they all keep in touch with with the students that they host, and uh, of course they they, they they become family, and uh, they they have very very uh, long lasting relationships. Mm-hmm.
1: Sarah, you're still smiling, yeah. so we'll end with this: <laughs> Why is it important that people be given the opportunity? to travel and learn more about the world. We got about 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, so I think William said it best, um, and that was my experience traveling abroad. The first time I did it, I I wanted more of that. I wanted to meet more people who were different, to see different things. Um, in today's world, we are more globally connected than ever before. So it's really important to to get on that train and go.
1: I want to thank all of my guests: college student William Watson, Valentina Boulin with Colegio, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get this right, Colegio EC, and Sarah Lingo with Sister Cities Nashville. I want to thank you all for being here and being with us today, and keep on traveling, okay? And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Tony Gonzalez. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.